last fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Welcome to the Gone to the Dogs podcast. Man, we have a good one for you today. We're reaching out to the state of Illinois, the land of Lincoln. We're going up in the northwestern corner of the state, and uh, we're going to visit with a fellow that uh, has been around these coon hunts, and uh, and uh, I think he and I first crossed paths back in the 80s, maybe at Autumn Oaks, maybe at Walker Days, who knows for sure, but our guest today is Monty Gussie. Uh, Monty, how are you doing today? Great, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good and finally uh, getting to catch up with you have something I've wanted to do for quite some time. I mm-hmm. follow you on Facebook and uh, I, I know uh, from uh, your activities down through the years, you've been very active in coon hunting and especially with walker dogs. Have you ever owned anything but a walker? Uh, yes, I have. I've owned, uh, I started with a mountain cur and uh I was a sophomore in high school, I believe. Started with an eight-year-old mountain cur dog. I see, as and, a uh, sophomore. Yeah, ever since then, uh, I've, I got my first walker dog from a fellow by the name of R.D. Whipple from Kelowna, Illinois. He was... Now, uh, Mr. Whipple, he's the one that was on the Charmin commercials or something. That's, that's <laughs> the one. <laughs> Yeah. Is that the same guy? <laughs> I don't think it was. Well, you know what? When you're talking a couple of coon hunters talking and all, you know, an advertisement for something like that might not be right. inappropriate. <laughs> right. Bringing some corporate dollars. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, I want to jump in. You mentioned corporate. What a great segue for me to mention real quickly. DU Hunting Supply, my sponsor for this podcast Buddy Woodbury, Jason Doobie, all the people out there at DU Supply. Uh, they do such a great job in supplying houndsmen all across the United States with great products, apparel, dog supplies, and especially the electronics that go along in uh, that are really joined at the hip with, with hound hunting nowadays. So anyway, just a big shout out to DU Hunting Supply. If you need anything at all in the way of dog supplies, and especially electronics, and these guys service what they sell. They really have top customer service. So just a shout out. So Monty, we've got the bills paid now. We can go ahead and talk about Coon Dogs. Great company. I've ordered from before. I've got uh, their sticker on the back of my truck. Awesome. Well, that's great, folks. Uh, Buddy, uh, this is for you out there. I I didn't realize that, but there you go. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Well, you know, Monty, there's nothing that coon hunters like to do much more than coon hunt itself uh, than talk about it. You know, uh, we commonly call it talking dogs. Right. Uh, And I was just uh, uh, recorded a podcast uh, uh, last week, and I won't reveal who that is yet, but uh, he'll be on here in a couple of weeks. And uh, and we said, you know, that's what we enjoyed doing the right. most is just talking dogs. Yeah. So you started off with a cur dog. Where'd you get that dog? How'd that all go? I got him from a fellow by the name of Steve McNitt. Um, him and my dad were good friends, and uh, he owned a uh, local pizza joint uptown here. And coon hunted some, 
he started with my dad, I think, off and on. My dad hunted leopard curs, and uh, Steve uh, actually gave me the mountain cur dog. His name was Bum, but uh, he was a good good dog, treat coons. Um, nothing compared to the walker dogs of today. Did he open on track at all? Uh, not much. He yeah. he did open yeah. a little bit on a hot track, but uh, no, he was pretty semi-silent. But, uh, Do you know the background on the dog at all? Uh, you know, bred? to be honest with you, Steve, I don't. Um, he was right. a uh, buckskin saddleback dog. Okay. He, red with uh, black saddleback. I still got a few pictures of him, as a matter of fact. But right. uh, yeah, he, he got me started. And uh, I actually started coon hunting with my dad when I was a little kid. I was, you know, three, four years old. And now, he, what was your dad's name? Bill Gussie. Is he still living? Yes, he is. Yeah. Oh, he he lives a half that's mile down the road from me, so awesome. I, I see him pretty much daily. But, uh, yeah, he, he hasn't hunted. He quit coon hunting back in the early 70s when the hides got uh, real high. And uh, he was not a fan of the shiners and, uh, and whatnot and the trappers and everything took over. And uh, he, it just kind of burned him out. Well, I think the true sportsmen do feel that way. You know, my dad was a fellow that really never sold any fur. He did trap after coon season was over, but he trapped red fox. He, mm-hmm. did, he, he never tried to intentionally trap coons. Right. But he did enjoy, uh, you know, working with fur and so forth. But mm-hmm. uh, there's so many stories that that kind of invokes in me. Uh, I... <laughs> I know uh, one time I was at a fur sale in Goshen, Indiana, and there was a, a great number of people there from the Amish community. And the deal was you spread your furs out on these tables and kept moving them up, and then finally you got to the head of the line, and the buyers, they had four or five buyers there, and they'd bid on your fur. Do you ever go to an auction like that? No, I haven't, Steve. No. Yeah. Well, uh as I said, this was largely uh, in the Amish community around Goshen, Indiana, mm-hmm. and I uh, had a, a, a Amish gentleman and a young boy there, I'd guess, about eight years old, maybe 10. They came by, and I said, they were looking at the fur, and I said, are you a coon hunter? And he said, yeah, I am. And, and I said, well, did you have a pretty good season? He yeah, yeah, I, I, I killed quite a few, but he said, I hope to do a lot better this next season. I said, oh, yeah, how's that? He said, well, I'm going to get a dog. You know? <laughs> so he was a guy that probably had been walking down the fence road with a dishpan and a spoon or something, right. on a, you know, and shining the, the coons. And, uh, of course, uh, I'm not sure that's a legal means. <laughs> right. But... Uh, <laughs> I know in Michigan, I ran into a guy one night that was in the back seat of a game warden's car, and I said, what are you doing back there? And he said, said, well, they're giving me a ticket for shining my light on the way into a tree. And I said, well, they don't expect you to walk around in the dark, do they? (laughs) And he said, the officer then chimed in, and he said, no, but he's not allowed to put that light in the tree until he gets to the point of kill. And that was the way Michigan handles this bit of what we call jack lighting or shining. Shining back in the you day. Know, you when know. your dog's treed in there, you're supposed to keep your light down I'll on be. the ground. You're not, you're not really allowed, if you're carrying that gun, 
you're not allowed to be shining around in the trees up there. So I'll be just interesting stuff. Yeah, know? yeah. Down in Illinois, they they could walk through the woods and just shine without a dog. And uh, yeah, yeah, they or get in a boat probably and float the river and shoot them off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when they were worth twenty five, thirty dollars, you know, you <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was a. A lot of people did it back then. Um, you don't see it much, so you know, so much anymore. But I know back when I started hunting myself uh, in the eighties, there was quite a few yet. But coons were, you know, they were twenty five, thirty five dollars for a big mm-hmm. jumbo coon back then. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the, that nor- northern fur was, you know, I enjoyed a lot uh, uh, hunting for fur. Mm-hmm. Uh, when our season came in in Michigan, and it kind of had to wait. Our season came in October 1, so the fur wasn't prime by then. But, you know, once it got on into November and all, that's nice uh, prime furs. It was a lot of fun right. to, to work with them and work them up and then oh, take I... them to the fur buyer. You know, that was all part of the sport Yeah, that I enjoyed a lot. Yeah, yeah I did too. I, abs- I loved it. Um I didn't kill probably as many coons as I could have, but right. I, I still enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, I, I took a coon. I remember one time I took a coon in there. It was a nice coon up to the fur buyer Grenwalds up here in Morrison. They had a truck, that, a van that come by and bought him. And uh, I thought he was probably a $35 coon, Steve. And I put him up on the van, and he told me $15. And I said, no, 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 that coon's worth more than that. So he says, no, no, he's not. He's pulling a little bit. And uh, I said, well, all right. Well, that he bought fur right there next to a tavern. And uh, I went inside, and I had a nice-looking gal take the coon out about a half hour later, and he gave her $35 for it. <laughs> it's all in the way you market it, I guess. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> but, yeah, they oh. That, yeah. uh, I'll never forget that one. Well, you know, it's funny. You go to some of these fur buyers back there. And, of course, when I came out of West Virginia, moved to Michigan in 83 and went to work full-time for UKC, we didn't really have any fur market down there in West Virginia, guys. But we're more apt to just take a decent coon and tack it fur side out on the side of the shed or the barn. You know, and, right. and that was kind of the, the the record of their kills for that year. Of course, we didn't have many coon. But right. when I went up there and I started, uh, you know, I, I didn't really even know how to properly case skin a coon mm-hmm. when I went up there because I'd just never done it. Right. Much, you know, and I learned that pretty quick and enjoyed doing it. Mm-hmm. And my buddies from Virginia that would come every year to to uh, hunt with me, they thought I was really something, the way I could peel that hide off that coon. You know, we'd treat one and cat recut the dogs and then skin it real quick, you know, and right. and put it in the coat. But you go to the fur buyer, and, of course, you know, you've got these furs, and the guys, well, the way we did it was we'd uh, freeze them, just roll them up and put them in a, in a Walmart bag or something, and drop them in the freezer. That's the way I did. I didn't actually flesh the the hides or anything. I took them green that way to the buyer. Yeah. But before I'd go, I'd I'd thaw those furs out, and I'd 
you know, I'd take a brush and I'd pull all the burrs out of them, and I, mm-hmm. and I'd uh, sometimes even if they were all kind of wet, nasty looking, I might wash them a little bit and right. take a blow dryer to them. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I did the same. And uh, you know, I, in fact, another little aside, I had a friend in Ohio, over in eastern Ohio, one year I was working up there and I hunted with him, and he could take borax, it's twenty mule team borax that you use for washing clothes or whatever. And he could take his knife and rub that in a twenty-two bullet hole. Let's say the coon had a hole in the, in the, in the back or something. Right. And he would rub that in there, and when it dried, you couldn't tell there was a hole in that, <laughs> in that hide. But anyway, well, I'll get to my story, and then we'll move yeah. on. Uh, you go to the fur buyer, and here you've got all these fur that you've kind of prepared and all first thing he does is take them and throw them down on the floor you know and there's sawdust and everything else laying down there and he throws this when he looks at it he throws it over there in another pile and he throws right he might go back and get this one out of that one throw it over there and and he'd start off with the jumbos you know and he'd say well you got a twenty dollar coon here or a twenty five dollar coon by the time he got down to those little, what we call blue coons, or the ones that weren't prime, you know, from October, right. it'd be about a buck and a half right. <laughs> So I saw for several years there before I left Michigan, average was about $8. Mm-hmm. But now when I went up there, you know, they were still paying those good prices. Yeah. Uh, that was in the early 80s, you know. But, yeah, I, I miss but, them days. I do. I, I yeah. Not because I like killing so many coons. I just I miss being able to buy a tank of gas once in a while, and uh, you know every little bit helps when you're out there hunting every night. So, well, sure it does, and yeah. it puts a value to the sport, right? You know, nowadays I guess a coon is worth about a buck. Is what yeah. they tell me if you yeah. can even sell them. You know. Yeah, I had a gentleman but, tell me he took uh, oh I don't know thirty forty coons up this year, and he averaged two dollars. Wow, yeah. Well, you know, if you enjoy working fur and all that, that's all part of it, and there really is a lot of lot of fun in doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, the days, I guess, of making a living <laughs> in the fur trade are, yeah, are pretty pretty far gone. It's a uh, shame. It's a shame. It is, and times are changing. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I want to talk to you a little bit about. Uh, you know, just coon hunting stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me kind of what the coon hunting's like there. You're in, I did get it right, didn't I? Northwestern yes. Illinois? Yes, I'm an hour from yeah. the Wisconsin state line and about 10 minutes from Iowa. So Okay, farm there, country? Yes, farm country, rolling hills. Uh, we're not far from the Mississippi, so we have some bluff areas. And uh, uh, I have... Patch woods. I have river bottoms, Steve. I hunt. Uh, I have some bigger timber that I hunt. Uh, fence rows. Uh, just about anything. I've got some swamp ground I can hunt in. I can put a dog in just about any type of terrain he's going to encounter uh, anywhere in the country right here. So it's it's kind of nice. Uh, well, do you do some training for the public? Or, yeah, or I do, do on occasion. Dogs? Yes, I, I take mm-hmm. hounds in outside dogs. Um, I've done that for a little while now. I I never used to, but uh, like I said, anytime a guy can buy a tank of gas, it's 
Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah, I, I've, well, the reason. I, yeah, go ahead. I've brought in a few here, not too many, but a few. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I was just thinking as you were talking there about the different types of terrain mm -hmm. for a guy that's in that uh, uh, that that kind of activity of training dogs. That would be a real plus to be able to work that dog in different types of terrain. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it, it helps. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I remember back in the 80s, I would... It gets rough here. Uh, um, we've got Mulfar Rose and, uh, you oh, know, all yeah. kinds of, and we have a lot of elm trees. And, uh, you know, they don't live very long. They die and they fall over. And yeah. we've got logs scattered through the woods everywhere here and uh, more so than down south. Um, but it's tough here for a dog to tree a coon, um, especially in the summertime. It can be tough. And uh, I would... I trained all my dogs. I never really bought any dogs. Uh, all the dogs that I hunted in the hunts, I pretty much trained. And uh, I can remember I would go to Walker Days in Indiana, and they would tree them coons over there like nothing. Um, mm -hmm. and, yeah. and I did fairly well in the hunts in Indiana. And I think that was a big part of it, actually, Steve. Yeah, just taking them to where it's it's easier. It's yeah. kind of like me. <laughs> I grew up hunting in the mountains of West Virginia yeah. and hunted all in that region and paid no attention, really, to the rough, steep places and, and all. Right. But as age started to take its toll, that's why, you know, I go places like uh, up to Pennsylvania to hunt with Randy Smith or go up to Michigan and hunt with Frank and... Yeah. And Rob and those guys, or Alan Snedeker and those fellas, or out to Arkansas where it's flat as a tabletop. Mm -hmm. You know, so you kind of adjust. You have to. <laughs> yeah. If you want to continue to do it, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the bluffs and all. I remember reading the old ads by Hans Wagner, the black and tan guy of years ago. He's kind of the guy that converted the black dog from the old long-eared old-fashioned dog to a medium-eared dog but mm -hmm. he was on the ohio side of the river i think but he talked about hunting in those bad bluffs and stuff do you ever hunt over in iowa at all uh rarely i i used to go yeah. over more often but uh no not too much anymore uh, the hunting's yeah. excellent in iowa i i love hunting over there but, is there a a bridge fairly handy to you to cross over? Or? Yeah, yeah, just uh, 12 miles up the road. Oh, it goes okay. into Clinton, oh, Iowa. Good. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah. Well, I, those I, river, I'll oh, go ahead. Other than the gravel roads, they have a lot of gravel roads in Iowa. Mm -hmm. But in the yeah. summertime, they yeah. get real dusty. <laughs> I remember going oh, over there yeah. in a cat. If you're in a cast and you're in the back, your dog can't hardly smell when he gets out of the dog box. But Michigan's that way too. Mm -hmm. The gravel roads are really bad in the summertime. Now they put some kind of a saline solution or something, the salt I don't know what it is. It's a like a salt water or something that they put on the the roads. You'll notice in the farm country in Michigan, there in West Michigan where I live particularly, uh, you'll be driving along one of those roads and it's just a dust cloud, you know, you can't right. see anybody in front. Right. But you get in front of a, a farm then the dust is down. They put something on the road to yeah. keep the dust down. I'm not sure yeah. what that is. But Every little bit helps. Oh, yeah. We had some hunters at Plot Days one year that got in 
to a serious wreck because of that. It was first of August. Oh, really? And one, you plowed, you know, they stopped at a, a crossroads and one vehicle didn't see them stopped and, and they had a big pileup there, mm. you know, which is never, never good. No. Well, so uh, have you seen a decline or increase or about the same in the coon population around there where you uh, are? Recently, I've seen a decline. Um, mm. We we have a good coon population here with the corn and whatnot. And uh, uh, normally a guy can go out and tree, oh, eight to 10 to 15 coons a night, depending on how, you know, how long you hunt. But Recently, in the last year or so, it's been three or four or five, and uh, I think the distemper went through here. So. Ooh, yeah, well, that's usually what happens, is mm -hmm. when you see a decline in the population, uh, you know, the first thing people start thinking, oh, rabies, you know, rabies. But uh, we saw this in Michigan from time to time, the years that I was up there. And the game officials, you know, told me at one time that this canine distemper, the same thing that we get in puppies if we didn't vaccinate them, uh, in a, you know, is about 50% uh, uh, fatal in raccoons and about 100% fatal in foxes. Hmm. Uh, and uh, we would have those periods where the, you know, you could walk along a creek and find dead coons laying along. And, yeah. Or you get out there and you turn loose and you get a hot track, boom, all of a sudden the dogs have got the coon caught on the ground and you find out that it's it's dehydrated. And, or right. maybe they're walking around in the daytime, you know. Looking yeah, I've seen a few. Scrawny. Yeah, I've seen a few laying at trees. When the dogs retreat, I've looked around and seen a couple laying on the ground and they didn't have any, no blood on them, no bullets, no nothing, you right. know, so... Yeah. yeah, I think they're just dying off from distemper. But well, I think that generally happens when the population gets uh, too full, you know, or too right. heavy, right. Uh, and they, you know, they in turn spread the disease. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, well, I talked to a fella in Tennessee. In fact, had him on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago. Elijah Burnett, and they're having a lot of trouble striking the coon down there. And uh, not just his dogs, he's talking to a lot of hunters. Mm -hmm. And they have also seen a decline in squirrels in his area. Hmm. So we're not sure exactly what's happening there, but something's definitely affecting yeah. the wildlife. But... And the times we're living in, it's hard to say. Now they're saying the deer, well, that... can, the deer can get COVID now, so... Who knows? Oh, is that right? That's what they're saying, I, I, yes. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. <laughs> masks or no masks? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to get into that one, but, no. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> that would turn into a long show. Well, yeah. Well, okay. I know that you've hunted quite a bit in competition. Mm -hmm. When you know back when you had those cur dogs and all, when did you did you hunt them in in competition at all, or did no? You? And you know it's funny, UKC would not recognize the leopard curs back then. Otherwise, right. I might be a leopard cur guy to this day, but uh, they wouldn't recognize them back then. So I got I started hunting Walker dog. I got you. Well, mm. what was that? 
Where'd you get him? What? How was he bred or her? Well, tell us that story. The, uh, the first Walker dog I've got was from R.D. Whipple. He was about an eight and a half year old spotted big male dog, and he was pretty much silent. And uh, we traded a few coons with him, but he died. And uh, I was looking for a dog. I was a junior in high school, and uh, a buddy of mine got a dog from his um, stepfather. Jim Floyd was his name from Missouri, and uh, my buddy's name was Darren Holder, but he got this pup. He was about six months old when he got him. Uh, Jim got it, give him, or bought him for him for his birthday or whatnot, and uh, he calls me up one day, and he says, hey, uh, he called him Goober. He says, do you want to buy Goober? I said, well, what do you got to have for him? He says, well, I says, I'll take $150, and I'll give you my dog box, my dog house, my feed pans, his leash, everything. So I went over to Darren's house. I gave him $150, and I ended up with the dog and his dog box and everything. And uh, the first night I took him out, he treated a lap coon. He was six months old. Mm. And uh, he hadn't been hunted but maybe a night or two before that. And uh, I noticed right away this dog treated a lot of layups, Steve. And mm. uh, he could run a coon. And he would run a fox, and he he didn't run too many deer, coyotes, I don't think, but he did. He would run a fox, but he started treating a lot of coons. And uh, I didn't really hunt in the hunts yet. I, I didn't start hunting in the hunts till I got out of high school. I think I was uh, like 19 years old. But uh, I named him Spring Creek Hammer, and uh, he won quite a few hunts. So it just you know went from there. And once you go to a hunt and you win your cast, you're hooked. So that's pretty yeah, much it, yeah, you know. I've just sure. I've been hunting him pretty much ever since. But uh, yeah, he was a good old dog. I really enjoyed hunting him. I was probably the only dog I have a picture of hanging on my walls in the house. Is that right? Yeah. Now was he out of Spring Creek Rock or or close? He, he was up? a grandson. He was, I got you. He was out of a dog called Spring Creek Rusty, and he was a great grandson to Rock on the bottom. So oh, he was okay. double rock bred, and he was a long-haired dog, had a flag tail, but mm -hmm. he was a coon dog. He was probably one of the better coon dogs I'd ever owned. Yeah, he's throwing back to those old foxhound roots, probably. Yeah, way yeah, back there. who knows? <laughs> of course, but, I don't know what the excuse was for my and our dogs, uh, our the plot dogs that my dad and I raised for many years. We would get that too. You know, mm -hmm. and some of that came from the Everett Weems breeding down around uh, Salem, Illinois. You know, right. Everett was from. So, uh, but I don't know whether it was any foxhound influence in those plots or not. Yeah. Somebody asked me one time, said, Steve, you got any walker in your dogs? And I said, well, yeah, but it ain't enough to hurt them any. <laughs> but. <laughs> But, I, of course, I was kidding. Right. And, uh, sooner or later, everybody hunts a walker, don't they, Monty? <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you got any sense. <laughs> oh, there we go. There we go. Yeah, there's, well, we there's good and bad in all of them. Huh? There's go good ahead. and bad in all of them. Uh, yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah. And I'm glad we've got all of them. It makes it a lot more interesting, you know? Yeah. Uh, the years that I was at UKC especially, you know, we had a wide uh, mixture, you know, through the six breeds. Yeah. And that was kind of fun. It's kind of like the old NASCAR days, Ford versus Chevy. 
and then it went to the super drivers and all that. But mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's getting back a little bit. I noticed I did watch the, the part of the Daytona 500, which was just yesterday from when we're recording this, and and they were talking about the Ford teams and the Chevy teams and the Toyota teams and all that. So anyway, mm -hmm. maybe that's coming back. But I always thought the breed associations were a great thing for coon hunting. It brought the people of like mind together, gave them an opportunity, you know, to communicate. Yes. Fellowship absolutely. with each other and, absolutely. and swap information, you know, and it improved the dogs yeah. a lot just by sharing that information. Absolutely. I miss the uh, large walker days turnouts. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I, I don't know what's, you know, it's all gone to the money hunts and whatnot, but. Yeah, that was beneficial to the breed, absolutely, and and to see it dwindling down to what it is now is is sad. I I don't know how there's I I don't think they have an answer to fix it, but uh, I don't know. I I, I wish well, I had I wish I had one to I wish I had a, an idea to help fix it to help them out, but I I just don't. I don't know. Well, I know that they're trying. I, in fact, I got a call just this week um, from. Uh, I got a call just this week from Alan Kayla up mm. in uh, Minnesota right. and uh, uh, talking about the upcoming Walker Days in Rochester, Indiana, coming up, and how they want to figure a way to do these interviews with these legendary Walker hunters and get them uh, not only uh, a video of it, but good audio. and. We talked about those things, uh, right? Uh, due to me doing the podcasting and things, and right. and he, you know, said we'd like for you to come and do uh, <clears throat> that interview, and also judge the bench show. Well, to me, it's an honor uh, to judge uh, uh, Walker Days, you know, because uh, of course I'm probably like you. I'm looking back <laughs> at the days when that was a huge hunt. Yeah, Walker Days, and it started on Thursday. Well, when they started the Lee Crawford Memorial, and that was really a good thing, and gave them something to do on Thursday night. Right, and uh, and then the huge, huge crowds and the shows, and, yeah, it was and incredible. And I, I, huh? It was incredible. And, and yeah, you tell people today they're you know they hunted seven hundred and eighty six dogs at Walker Days, and they I don't think they can grasp that. I don't, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I it, remember. It really that. was. I mean, you walk into a good-sized building at a fairground, usually where they had the awards and maybe had the entry table or uh, maybe even the kitchen there. But you just have to kind of, you know, go sideways in between the people to get through the crowd. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, because there were just, and then you go to the dog barns, and the yeah. stud dogs are there, and the banners and. All of that, you all know. The, and, all the guys you've seen in the Cooner and the Coonon Bloodlines, they're all right there. And, uh, well, I don't, uh, there's a guy that I respect very much, and he, he's a good guy, and he and I have been, uh, we've had a little bit of a, a disagreement and not really openly, I mean, not really a, a disagreement, but just in, in our opinions, right. and that's Josh McCaleb from... Uh, uh, Missouri that's doing the uh, some of the Houseman XP podcasts and he said the other day that he thought 
that we're living in the golden age of coon hunting right now because of the prize, the prize money, the value of the dogs, uh, the, the opportunities for guys to go out and make a living, which there are a few that can do that. Right. Uh, but, and I maintain that the golden age of coon hunting is, is the age that we just talked about when there were huge crowds at the major events, autumn oaks, um, you know, and, and uh, uh, the winter classic started that in Albany, Georgia, and it soon grew to a very large event, and the Grand American, and all of those huge crowds of hunters, those dog barns full to capacity, uh, the sitting around in the, in the headquarters building or the kitchen area, and swapping stories you'd have sometimes have to wait for a place to sit right uh to me um i think there's strength in numbers <laughs> i've yeah. always kind of been a, a numbers guy and i'm not trying to make the point that while i was involved with the registries that's the way it was mm-hmm. i was fortunate to have inherited a lot of that you know right but I, my point was not that at all it's just that there was a day uh, when it was quite amazing to go to some yeah something like yeah it, it absolutely was and i i looked forward to going um the the day i got home i was looking forward to going again next year mm-hmm. and uh right. these hunts today um, i don't look forward to going to them <laughs> i go i've got a dog that's can compete with about anything but I just don't look forward to going to them for some reason, Steve. They're just not the same. The camaraderie is not the same. Um, the people have changed. It's more serious now. And uh, you almost have to be have a law degree to win in some of these big PKC hunts. And it's just not the same, Steve. It's not. And uh, when you talk about the added purses, the big purses that can be won now, the People are are not looking at um, the hunters are funding their own purses in these hunts. Um, Ten thousand dollar entry fees, sixty five hundred dollar entry fees, whatnot. Uh, whether it be twenty five hundred, but the hunters are funding their own purses, and I think eventually that's not going to be a good thing. Um, I think the hunts need to have corporate dollars put into them from these corporations that are making money off coon hunters if they want to really grow. And they want it to be, you know, anything like the Bass Masters or anything like that. I think there's, you know, Garmin. Garmin's a big company. They they could definitely throw a little dollars, you know, a few dollars into these big hunts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you have several, several big companies that, you know, make money off coon hunting that could help out. And I'm sure they do help out in areas. But the the purses, I think, eventually need to be funded by somebody other than the hunters. Right. Well, there's obvious reasons for that, and some of them I probably won't go into. But, right. But, you know, um, and, and that's a good point. And down through the years, working with major events, automobiles, world hunt, uh, whatever, uh, the biggest problem in, in trying to build a magazine like Coonhound Bloodlines that, that mm-hmm. I did and also ProHound later on mm-hmm. uh is numbers, sheer numbers. You know, when these corporate uh, concerns start looking at something, well, how many how many subscribers do you have? How many uh, 
how many participants do you have? What are the numbers? What are the demographics? Right. You know, the, yeah, that's the first and thing. And that on. has always been the thing that hindered coon hunting from mm -hmm. grasping some of those real deep pocket sponsors right. is because we did not have the sheer numbers. Right. You know, and I'm going to take some criticism here probably, but I'm going to I'm going to beat my own drum just a little bit. You know, when I was uh uh working with the AKC, uh, I brought Garmin into coon hunting. Mm -hmm. uh, I think if you talk to people uh, they can, they will tell you that I was the guy that contacted Garmin and said, hey, you know, we've got a lot of coon hunters out here. But I, I was kind of, you know, I was thinking at, at it from this angle. I was thinking, you know, everybody running up and down to these, uh, the road to these coon hunts and these dog shows and everything need one of those Garmin newbies setting up on their dash so they can find where they're going. Right. And the clubs are starting to give the coordinates and things like that now more. So this is a great market for Garmin. Right. And they said, no, no, we've got that market. We're not concerned about that market. What we're into more is the research and development, the new products. And we're into, and because I told them, I said, you've got this, a uh, product here that you designed for bird dogs, you got up the antenna on a little rubber ducky antenna on a vest. And I said, a coon dog will tear that up in five minutes. <laughs> you know, you got to build something that'll hold up, you know. And right. I wasn't the only one that was, I remember Jess Dickerson, I think, worked with them out there in Kansas and or Missouri and different ones that actually did field testing. But I was the one that persuaded them to come into coon hunting and be a sponsor. Right. Well, and they did, and they came into AKC. And I, I, I brag. That is bragging, yeah. But yeah, I'm yeah. kind of proud of that. Yeah, I would be too. But, yeah, it's quite an accomplishment to get a, a a corporation like that involved in coon hunting. Yeah, and yeah. nobody knew for sure at that point where it was going to go. Right. You know, because we had the telemetry collars, and the people that were building those said, "Ah, oh, well, that." The GPS thing is a gimmick. It's not going to work. The battery life's not long enough. Yada yada. But yeah. pretty soon, there was a lot of guys, and still are, that wear both kinds of collars on their dog. Right. But little by little, you know that that all changed. And mm -hmm. another little deal was I went to Remington, and the first time we had a major firearm manufacturer. Uh, to sponsor an event. We had them sponsor the AKC National Championship. Mm -hmm. And we gave away a, uh, a brand new Chevy pickup that had Remington and gray, or embroidered in the seats and had shotgun shells on the dials in the, for the speedometer and, and all, <laughs> all that. And we gave that to that way. Had a coon hunt in Greensburg, Indiana. And I remember seeing it drive off the, the club grounds there on a rainy night and i'd had to baby that thing for about six months I had to store it and, <laughs> and all that stuff but anyway i got a lot of those old stories and that's enough mm. talking about me because this is absolutely <laughs> not about me at all but okay so you got started in in competition hunting what were some of your first experiences early experiences oh ooh, a ton of them uh going to Walker Days like we talked about. And uh, the first time I went was 1988. And I just, you know, I've been hunting in a few local hunts, some RQEs here, but nothing major. And the first year I went to a major hunt was Walker Days, 1988. And uh, I got there 
in a, uh, I had a topper on the back of my truck and uh, I slept in my truck. But I got there Thursday night and uh, I remember the Lee Crawford hunt was going on and uh, the first person I seen was Lee Logan with uh, Wild Clover. And I thought that was really cool. And, uh, and you know, I just. Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, I ended up uh, drawing out Friday night with Timothy Ball, mm. uh, Wayne Caudill, and uh, wow. uh, Randall Myers. Uh, mm-hmm. Randall wasn't actually hunting the dog, another gentleman was, but I drew out with his dog. And uh, I remember shaking like a leaf. You know, you draw it, you got your number, and you went out to the barn and you stood by your pie plate number. And uh, I walked up there, and they were all standing there, and I was shaking like a leaf on a tree, Steve. <laughs> but, uh, John Monroe come up to me. I'd hunted with John a little bit before that some, and he, he asked me who I drew, and I told him. He said, oh, you'll be all right. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it was uh, quite the deal. And Oh, well, I remember those times very well, too. And, you know, just out in respect, you know, the three gentlemen that you – mentioned there have all passed on now money mm-hmm. and you know it, our sport uh, a lot of these uh, you know legends timothy ball you mentioned uh, wayne cottle who was very active in forming and and operating the kentucky houseman for many years right and uh and uh let's see who was the first one you mentioned timothy ball and uh random myers Randall Myers. There's yeah. another one that just recently passed away. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's yep. and uh, Randall uh, was a great guy too. So. Yeah, Timothy. Yeah, was, what? Timothy was hunting a dog called Goober. I believe Boozer. I'm sorry, Boozer. Yeah, Boozer. Uh, Smith Boozer, and uh, he walked with us the first couple of trees we made, and I remember old Boozer. He got there the second tree or the first tree. I'm not sure, but he. He got in there and he started treeing, and Timothy walked in there and he put a leash on him and pet him up. And old Boozer was just foaming at the mouth. Treed every breath, probably 150 barks a minute, Steve. And Timothy says, boys, ain't old Boozer a tree dog? (laughs) (laughs) Marty, I tell you, you know, I I love Timothy Ball. I love to talk to him at the events. I, he was no doubt one of the greatest promoters that our sport has ever had. Absolutely. But I have a personal story that sounds almost like what you just told me <laughs> of hunting with Tim in the uh, pecan uh, bottoms in Texas down at the uh, 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 Texas State Championship one year. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he, he was a legend in our sport for sure. Absolutely. And, and when... Uh, uh, he would get uh, disappointed when his dog wasn't doing well, but boy, when the table turned, that's when the switch came on. <laughs> Timothy, the promoter, came out big time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I say that with all due respect because Absolutely. I do admire the guy and what he did for our sport. But well, he, he was, was the a only colorful man. He me. was the only man that ever gave me anything in a cast. He gave me a coon squaller that night. So yeah, hats yeah. off to Tim, but uh, that's yeah. right. Great, Absolutely. great guy. He withdrew. He withdrew Boozer and and give us all coon squallers. <laughs> Good. Well, <laughs> do, do we dare ask who won that cast? Yeah, Hammer won the cast. 
Uh, okay. I think okay. he had three and a quarter plus three fifty. I'm not sure. Maybe four fifty. I'm not. I'm not sure. He treated a couple coons that night. Uh, the foot dog treated coon, and uh, the foot dog actually looked pretty good that night. And uh, then the hammer split treat at the end of the hunt and had a coon on the cast. And I was on cloud nine. Oh, I'm sure you were. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you were. Yeah. Well, I remember those days so very well. Mm-hmm. And being a young hunter, came home from the military in 73, oh. and my first hunt that I, I had been to hunts before. Right. Uh, you know, quite a few. But anyway, I always got those butterflies when I get out to time to go to the truck and get my boots on and get, as we say, I always say, get my stuff on. And uh, I always feel that anticipation that, yeah. <laughs> you know, jitters is almost every time felt like the first time to me. Yeah, uh, you know, back in those days, Jerry Mall, who just retired from PKC, tells a a good story. Maybe you remember this, Monty. Uh, George Yazel used to be the president of the Walker Association. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Joe? Yes, George? I, I remember George. Yes. Yeah. Well, George had a little speech that he always gave the hunters, mm-hmm. and uh, and the Walker people had kind of a unique way of drawing the dogs. They got in a big line and you walked by and you put, I guess you drew your cat. Right. And George would be on the microphone and the idea was just as you say, you go out and stand by that pie, that paper plate that's tacked on the side of the wall or on a fence post out there right. until your cast, you know, is formed. And George would get up there on the microphone. He said, okay, now boys, don't go get your dog. Don't go get your truck. Don't go get your wife. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> he had that long speech. Yeah, I remember say. that. <laughs> yeah. What what great times, man. You bring them back, the memories for me, for sure. Yeah. And with apologies to Josh Michaelis, you know, Josh, that's why those days were the golden days for me i feel that's, that that's yeah. For sure. yeah them boys All that, right, them so, boys that don't get any butterflies at the hunts even today i don't know how they do it but i admire them <laughs> because i still do but well the dynamic is a lot different as you said i've noticed hmm. even down here you know coming to florida i've been here now a few years uh when I got this young uh, long pine bred dog, I started taking to a few hunts, and you pull into the hunt, and you know guys are around. It might be fifteen guys or something around, but mm-hmm. it's just pretty much just a glance here and there, you know. And you kind of sidle up and pay your entry fee, and yeah, maybe if you know the the, the hunt director or whatever, you might exchange a couple words and. Yeah. And just go sit down and wait until they call you cast and go to the woods and hunt your hour or, or two in some cases. And then everybody scatters like quail. You know, yeah, there's no yeah. clubhouse to go back to or no, no coffee pot, no stories, no. You no, know, they're so signing. It's a whole different dynamic. It is. They're signing up on the hood of pickup trucks now and going to the woods. And. I can remember back when I started, we'd have 40, 50 dogs in our training contest, Steve. And oh, yeah. It would take hours. And, <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. I, our RQEs up here in Kalita, uh, where, yeah. where, where I was a club member, um, the RQEs would draw 120 dogs. 
Oh, yeah. I've spoken about that, I believe, on this podcast. May have been one one of the others. Mm -hmm. That we had what we called a century club for the field reps. And if they drew over 100 dogs at their RQE, they got a nice plaque and they got recognized at the World Hunt and called their name. And they walked across the stage and got their plaque. And, man, that was getting to be an ordeal because we had a lot of hunts with 100 dogs, you know, back Mm. in those days. Yeah. Of course, that's, again, that's back in... I was at UKC from 83 to, I believe, 96. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, well, it has changed. And I know that, you know, money has become the uh, reward or award that most people are seeking, mm-hmm. I think. But, you know, in just talking to hunters like you, uh, it's still the recognition is important. Yeah. But the problem we got now, and somebody just said here a couple of days ago that I talked to, the problem we got now is there's a big hunt every weekend. Yeah. And yeah. so instead of, maybe it was, it could have been John Monroe that said this, that used to be, you know, that wind came out and you made the cover of a magazine, you got to bask in it for a while, you know. Yeah. But now you win, make a, a, a big win this week, next week it's old news. Yeah, definitely. You know? mm-hmm. That's yeah. a good point. So that's yeah. the changes. I, yeah. I actually put on, I put on one hunt here. It's a money hunt, $1,000. Well, our first one was $500 to enter, but it's a head-to-head hunt. It's two-dog cast, and it's an elimination hunt. Mm-hmm. And uh, we put that on two years ago, and we had a, it turned out good. Um, local boy here won it, John White, and uh, Brian Downing won it. But uh, we, I, I scheduled uh, the hunt this year for March 3rd and 4th, I believe. And uh, PKC had changed their truck hunt date for their seniors, I believe, to that date. So I was trying to reschedule it, and uh, it's not easy. There's, there's, like you said, there's a big hunt every weekend, a big money hunt somewhere. So. We finally did get it rescheduled, but yeah, it's not easy. There's hunts all the time, and that's what. what well, that's back what in the to. day when I was scheduling events, uh, for instance, at UKC, uh, you know, we had a hundred mile radius, uh, and uh, no two clubs could have an event on the same week, right. same uh, date, right? Uh, you know, closer than a hundred miles, right? And that was somewhat of a challenge, but. You know, today with several organizations involved, you know, it it really is yeah a whole yeah. different. Yeah, I think what started that was the thirty dollar hunts or the fifteen dollar hunts, whatever they were during the weekday hunts. And uh, honestly, I think that really hurt the turnouts in the hunts was the weekday hunts. Oh, I think so, and it created this idea that you can go out there and. You know, if you go out and and there's a thirty dollar hunt, and you got four dogs. I believe the the cast winner gets seventy two dollars. I think right. Yeah, that comes down. Yeah, and uh, you know, and, and they just there's just a lot of small hunts out there for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, you had speaking. Well, I want to go up. I want to build up to today. But after Hammer, what what was your next? Project oh, let's next see. I bought a little. I well, I bought Spring Creek Dummy off of Larry Schultz. Uh, mm-hmm. Dummy came from uh, Dwayne Clark, of course. 
And uh, he'd won Walker Days back in 1983, I believe. And uh, a fellow by the name of Danny Cox bought Dummy. And uh, Larry ended up buying Dummy from from Danny. And I ended up Down buying... in Texas. Yes, Danny Cox in Texas. Mm-hmm. Don't know yeah. if he's coon hunting anymore or not. I haven't heard anything about him. I'm not sure. I talked to Danny a couple times on the telephone. He seemed like a, a real nice gentleman. Um, I ended up buying Dummy... <clears throat> off of Danny's word from Larry Schultz. And uh, I drove up there and uh, bought him from Larry, and he rode in the passenger side of my truck back home to Morrison from Harris, uh, Minnesota. And I believe he was a little over eight years old at the time. Um, and I hunted him a little bit. I studied him a little bit. And uh, I ended up, Ora Thomas out in Iowa bred a female to him, a uh, direct daughter out of Rock. And uh, I, he told me I could have a pup out of the, out of the litter. And uh, that's what I bred her for was a puppy. And I get out there to pick her out. And, and Aura had them in order. He had the two best-looking ones in this pen. He had the two le- lesser-looking <laughs> ones in this pen. And then he had the two lesser-than-them two pups in this pen. And then he had, <laughs> and then he had the runt female and another couple runt females down here in this pen. And I went up, and I said, well, I want that pup right there on the left. He says, oh, you can't have that pup. I said, well, I'll take the other pup. He says, no, you can't have that pup. I said, well, how about a pup out of this pen? He says, no, you can't have it. I said, all right, just give me that rump female down there. And uh, that's how I got her. Her name was Jody. I named her Jody. And uh, she was a little uh, light, light uh, tan-headed female. She wasn't real pretty. She was put up pretty well, uh, but when I got her home, I noticed right away, my gosh, she's got a huge mouth and, uh, and a real nice acting pup. And uh, I started hunting her. She treated her first coon the first night I took her. She was six months old. She treated a coon in a little locust tree. And I shook it out to her, and, uh, boy, she just took off. And uh, I started hunting her in the hunts, and she won quite a bit. Uh, so that's what was my second dog. She would have been on a dummy and a direct daughter of Rock. So she was a mm-hmm. double granddaughter to Rock. Yeah. But, yeah, that turned out to be a pretty good cross, I think. Uh, I know some big game hunters got a few of them, and uh, I don't think too many of them pups got competition hunted. But, uh, yeah, I, I won quite a bit with her, and then I <clears throat> took her to Walker Days, and uh, she did real well out there a couple of times. And, uh but yeah, I really enjoyed her. She was a nice dog. Good. She and was you a real. Her what? I called her Jody. Her name was Monty's Jam and Jody, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed her. She was a coon dog. She had a good mouth. She was a ball mouth track dog. Go ahead, Steve. No, no, no. That's fine. You yeah, she uh, she uh, had a uh, ball mouth on the ground and a real good locate. And she was a good layup dog. She wasn't quite the layup dog Hammer was, but she was a good layup dog. And that's something you don't really see in the dogs anymore is the, the ability to wind a coon, you know, 100 yards down over a pasture hill, laying up in an oak tree and go down there and locate the tree and start treeing. That's a layup dog. I know a lot of these guys say they have layup dogs nowadays that go through their .7 and fall treed and they say they treat a layup but that's not a layup dog we all know that that's a hot track <laughs> that's that's a they're hot tracker they're going 
covering as much real estate as they possibly can to find an easy coon that they can treat. Exactly. And, uh, and of course, the owner uh, wants that because that easy coon is likely going to be a coon that you're going to see. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, jump in on a rabbit path here again. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the Spring Creek dog, mm-hmm. Wayne Clark. Just recently lost Mike Boone. Yeah, I, I seen that. That's too bad. And, and you know, he and Dwayne were kind of inseparable to me. I mean, when you saw one of those guys, you seen the other Dwayne. One. <laughs> yeah, of course, Dwayne has been gone a few years now. I did get to see Dwayne at the 50th anniversary Walker Days over in Portland, Indiana, mm-hmm. and was fortunate to have a be in a, have a picture that I put in my book of James Merchant, John Shetler and Dwayne sitting there at a a table. But, yeah, Mike Boone had great stories. I always enjoyed talking to him. Yeah. And he was responsible for a lot of those wins when those Spring Creek dogs. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. they were – Mike was a great guy, and and Dwayne was one of the nicest gentlemen I'd ever met. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, super, super humble guy and uh, just would talk to anybody i mean he talked to me so <laughs> but oh uh, well yeah great guy you know the, i know that probably some of maybe some of our younger listeners are to, are enamored with the history that i try to bring to these podcasts i think maybe some of the older ones will will find uh, they'll be smiling and nodding their head as they recall some of these people. Right. And I imagine there's some people out there who say, is that all field wants to do to talk about this old stuff? <laughs> right. You know, uh, living in, in the past, you know, you got to look forward. Yeah. And I'm all about that, too. Yeah. You know, I had, well, let's put it this way, I had to be a forward-thinking guy for my whole career mm-hmm. because there was competition out there that, was things that need I need to figure out how to get coon hunters to bring their registration and their entry fees into my registry it wasn't my registry but the one I worked for so I had to be forward thinking all the time now yeah, yeah. I'm enjoying looking back right looking back at the things happen and just realize what a great opportunity I had and you know coon hunting's been so good to me it's and it's not financial. It's it's in the rewards and the friendships and the stories and the right. happenings and being able to go pretty much around the country and pick up the phone and say, hey, I'm, I happen to be in town. Can we go hunting tonight or can right. I at least come by and see your dogs? Well, so, you know, but Steve, anyway. Coon hunting was fortunate to have you, Steve. Um, from from me looking at it, uh, I... I I think you did the best job out of anybody that I've seen that had your job. Um, it was there. You were Kunang was very fortunate to have you. I appreciate that, Monty. I really do. But it was a labor of love for me, mm-hmm. no doubt. And, and many, many times I've stood in front of crowds and said, "I want to thank the Kunar for providing a living for my family, an education for my son." and a great life and I owe it all to coon hunters yeah. and I, I'll repeat that right now if it mm-hmm. wasn't for the coon hunters I wouldn't have had the great life that I've had so yeah, but thank you for saying that I appreciate it Monty you're absolutely okay welcome. so after this female uh uh where did we go there ah uh, we went it to uh traveled to New York and bought a bought a dog off a guy by the name of John Weidman mm-hmm. and uh he had some good dogs uh, back in the day. 
Yes, he did. Uh, I bought a female out of Giles Joe. Uh, mm-hmm. She was uh, 10 months old, I believe. And uh, That's the dog that was also known as Everman's Joe. Uh, yes, yeah. He was the dog that won the cast in 1987. With Miles. that UKC yeah. didn't have a world champion. Right. Because they didn't have a final score of plus points right. on that cast. Yeah. But, yeah, that was reputed to be a nice dog. Yeah, old Joe. Yeah. Bought a female off of him and, and finished her to Grand Night. Joe, I finished Jody to Grand Night. Then I finished uh, Ruby to Granite. I brought brought her here and, and trained her and got her tree and coons. And she was tree and coons when I bought her. I shouldn't say she wasn't, but she was she was just started. And uh, she wouldn't go hunting for a few weeks when I got her here. And then she come out of that and started tree and coons. And I hunted her in quite a few hunts and won some UKC hunts. This was before I really started hunting any PKC hunts. Uh, they had the casco hunts i don't know if you remember them mm-hmm. i do remember them yeah, yeah they had a few of them around here and i hunted jody and a couple of them and she, she got in a final cast in a couple of them she actually won one one night but mm-hmm. yeah i started hunting ruby and finished her to grand night and uh uh i ruined her um she this is where when a person talks about a hound an ego is a heavy burden for a hound to carry a hunter's ego uh I was hunting her one night, and she slick treed, and then she slick treed again, and it was early, I remember it was early spring, uh, the snow was just melting, was still frost in the ground, and uh, I don't know what was going on that night, Steve, but she made two or three slick trees in a row, and I blew my top, and I overreacted, and I, and I beat her too bad, and I basically ruined her for the competition hunts, because she would... If she heard you stomping or thought you were even thought you were stomping into a tree, she would get down off a tree after that and leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was a it lesson learned. Too well. Mm-hmm. That was a lesson learned. Uh, and uh, yeah, for I, sure. And uh, young hunters out there, I hope you're listening to that. For uh, sure. Yeah, I because, basically. You know, if you lose your temper with the dog, it's over. Yep, it's you know, over. You might, you're much better off to just put the snap on the dog. And head back to the house. Yeah. Because you're not going to accomplish anything if you're angry. No, like absolutely not. Especially hunting a female. I've been there too, Bonnie. I've yeah. been there too. And I think any coon hunter that's been around for a while would, would have to admit that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right, Sometimes so. you just have to take a deep breath, like you said, and uh, mm-hmm. leash them and go home. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I moved on from her. Um, oh, who did I hunt after that? I. I bought a little female out of Rock River Banjo and hunted her a little bit. And uh, nothing really that I was looking for. I couldn't find anything for a while. And uh, I ended up uh, hooking up with a fellow by the name of Mark Cross. And uh, he gave me a blank check, basically, and told me to go find a hound. And uh, I, uh, he wanted me to be partners with him on the dog. And... Uh, I did. I, to be honest with you, I wasn't really thrilled about the idea at the time, Steve. But I wanted a good dog, and uh, Mark what? had a lot more money than I did. But I ended up getting a hold of Larry Pattison in Indiana, and he had a little right. female. Uh, <laughs> Boy, you're bringing back the memories. <laughs> the first UKC World Hunt I worked as the manager of the field operations department was in 
Mayfield, Kentucky in 1983, and Larry Patterson was in the Final Four. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, he sure was. Rick Burnett, Larry Patterson, uh, James Bogard uh, with the dog that won it. And I'm trying to think what the other dog was right now. I don't remember, but Larry's <laughs> been a good friend down through the years. Yeah, yeah. Larry's a, he's a great guy. And uh, yep. uh, bought the female. She was out of uh, Hickory Nut Harry. Balls, stylish Hickory Nut Harry. Um, she was a firecracker. She come from North Carolina. Um, oh, I can't remember the boys' names that had her started her, but uh, Larry had her there. She was she would run anything that laid a track. She had a nose out of this world, um, and just a firecracker. Uh, I bought. We got her bought, and uh, she was started. She was she was well started, but she was very very trashy. And uh, she would tree some slick trees, but uh, I hunted her here through hide season, and I got her straightened out. Pretty much got her over the slick treeing, and uh, and uh, I didn't totally get her broke off everything because uh, I think it would have been impossible. Uh, she was hillbilly Mac bred on the bottom. She was a granddaughter to old Mac dog, right. but she was absolutely the most powerful competition dog i've ever seen in my life uh and you called her what sugar her name was stylish sugar and uh a lot of people thought she ghost tracked steve she never ghost tracked she was always running something she could run a coon track that most dogs could not absolutely could not smell and she would run it she wouldn't just open on it she would run it and uh, i've seen her many nights i've seen her tree two or three coons before another dog even opened and uh, i seen her do it and, and she was just she was an amazing little dog and had all the heart in the world i seen her one night i shot a coon out to her and it got went down into some tree roots on the side of a hill into into some in an oak tree and uh, the area was about the size of a cubic yard and she got down in there with that coon, and all you could see, you'd see a coon dog, and then you'd see a coon. Then you'd see a coon dog, and then you'd see a coon. <laughs> and uh, she ended up coming out of there and killing that coon, but she that's the type of dog she was. She just had all the heart in the world, and she was a lot of fun to hunt. Um, sometimes during the week, she wasn't so much fun, but when you had her in a cast, she was a lot of fun. You kept her and hunted her the whole time? When yeah, you yeah. She... She won high scoring opposite sex at Walker Days, and uh, she won high scoring Walker female at Autumn Oaks. She won high scoring Walker female at the Winter Classic, and uh, she won the Iowa. Let's see, no, she didn't win the Iowa State race, but she placed up in there high one year. And and I, I was that I was turning into a professional handler, and with her and. Uh, that's kind of where things started going south with me being a coon hunter. <laughs> I don't, I shouldn't say south, but I, I just got to where I didn't enjoy it as much as I did when I had my own dogs. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Mark, Mark uh, paid me well. As far as I, I was a younger guy, and he bought me a brand new truck and gave me gas cards and told me to go to the hunts. And... I basically kept all the money I won, and uh, it just uh, it kind of soured me a bit, Steve. And it turned me into a person that I wasn't proud to be for a while, because it seemed like 
it was more about winning than anything else. Can we break that down just a little bit? If I get too close to the <laughs> to the bone here, just tell me. Yeah. What do you attribute to uh, making it not as much fun? I mean, what was it the fact that you were trying too hard to win and you were getting frustrated when you didn't? Or was it, is, was it uh, you, you know, it's so many people have, I've heard say, you know, he's a good handler. This guy's a good handler. Well, how much can a handler do, really? I mean, the handler needs to know the rules. Mm -hmm. He needs to strike and treat the dog. He needs to know the dog, you know. But right. this beyond, sometimes I think there's a perception that the handler is the all-important thing. And this dog that's out there in mm -hmm. the dark is just an is, uh, incidental. Right. Well, it was, uh, what what was it that kind of would you know without I've, naming names, whatever? But just you know, break mm. that down for me. I, I think it was, as far as I'm concerned, it was just the pressure to win. You know, um, I've got all this stuff handed to me, and I've got to go win. And uh, uh, um, there's a Back then, which I'm sure is still the same today, there was a clique of guys in PKC. And people can say what they want. If you weren't in that clique, it was hard to win on a, on the, a big stage. And I wasn't going to as many PKC hunts as the guys in the, in the clique. I just wasn't. They were going to pro hunts every weekend. You know, uh, a big added purse breed days hunt, whether it be English days, walking, whatever. And and I wasn't going to that many PKC hunts, Steve. I was going to some around here, and I would go to PKC Walker days, and I would go to the Super Stakes and whatnot. But I wasn't hitting as many, and I just I wasn't really in that click ever. And it just got frustrating. I I took it on the chin a few times. Uh, because of it at some big PKC hunts and uh, you know I'm I've always been the type of guy I if I get beat I get beat Steve I will shake the man's hand that beat me because I always thought especially back then I was putting in the work through the week mm -hmm. and if somebody beat me I owed it to them to shake their hand because they beat me uh, um, and I and I honestly figured they were putting in more work than I than I did and they deserved their hands shook and that's just the way I was and uh but I did take it on the shin a few times at the PKC world hunt and uh in different hunts and it wasn't fair and uh it just got to me after a while Steve um I didn't want to be in that I didn't want to be one of them people I just didn't want to be there in the click I just I didn't want to be that so uh, eventually I, I got out of that situation and, uh, started hunting my own dogs again. And I was a completely different person, uh, when I started hunting my own dogs again. And, and, uh, that, you know, that's all I got to say about that. Well, I, just... I appreciate you being candid about that, Monty, mm -hmm. uh, because those things, you know, we carry those things as hunters and as houndsmen. And, and the things that happened down through the years and all. You know, as you were talking and I, you know, I'm not 
pointing the fingers. I, I don't, uh, you know, when I first went to PKC, you know, a lot of the guys said, what are you doing in that, uh, or they called it PCA back in the early days. But right. That was before my day. Right. Know? Yeah. Uh, uh, and, uh, if, you know, they said, uh, you know, professional coon hunters click, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and I, you know, and you hear this about every registry, every oh, yeah. organization yeah. has these kinds of things that happen. Right. But, you know, what I wanted to, to hear you say is, you know, just because you're out there competing at that level and you're, you know, maybe have a pretty good dog and you, and you, you can win now and then, you're not always doing what makes you happy. Right. And what you should do is do what makes you happy. Right. You know, I found down through the years and decisions that I've had to make in my own personal life, mm -hmm. the people that were closest to me, I believe, gave me the best advice when they told me, Steve, you deserve to be happy. Right. Whether it was a job change or a, or, or a domestic situation or whatever, you know, we all, I'm not one to believe in the particular participation trophy <laughs> attitude that, you know, we're all wonderful and we all deserve all this stuff. But we do have a basic fundamental right, I believe, to find happiness. Yes. You know, the, yeah. they talk about uh, the pursuit of, of, of happiness, you know, in our Constitution. Right. So, you know, finding what makes you happy, and that's what I was able to do in my life that I'm very, very grateful mm -hmm. that I found you know, more than one thing that, right. that makes me very, very happy now that I am where I am. And what I try to tell people is, look, you know, I'm 75 years old. I never knew that I would be 75 years old and still be involved in the sport. Uh, certainly not to the degree I was at one time, but I'm able to just because of people have allowed me to be uh, still involved and, and so forth. But but you gotta look at the future. Right. You gotta think this is not gonna last forever. <laughs> You're out there following that deep and lonely talk today. Believe me, I can tell you, you, you won't be able to do that forever. Right. <laughs> you won't be able to walk a mile in there to old spot, pull him, uh, snap him, and walk over here uh, a mile and a quarter on a right. on no leash lock law. Uh, right. you know, or what, whatever. Yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm not looking forward to the day I can't walk to the dogs and walk back. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it happens. How old early. are you now, Monty? Fifty-five. Fifty-five. Okay. Yeah, I got you yeah. about twenty years. Yeah, you? yeah, I'm sure you can. You're looking at me through this computer. <laughs> well, well, okay. Let's. All right. What? I don't want to leave any good dogs out after sugar. Yeah. What? Well, I know you. Got one there you call fairy dust, right? You yeah, still have her. yeah. I've, and I've, I want to talk about her, but is there is there something in between there that we need to talk about? Uh, after me and Mark went our separate ways, uh, we own several dogs together. Uh, second to him, Sammy. She won Walker Days one night. Uh, uh, oh, I hunted a female that we got from Larry called uh, Maggie, little um, female uh, nailer, who was actually, she was a pretty nice dog. Um, but she got goofy. She got hunt smart right away, and she just, 
she she wasn't very good for the hunts. So uh, after me and Mark split up, I bought a puppy off of uh, Lowell Breen out of Hard Rock Cafe and uh, Lowell's female, Magic. And she was a litter mate to Tell Sackett and uh, Tuck and all the dogs that come out of Sal and uh, Sackett Jr. But I bought uh, bought him. He was about eight weeks old when I got him. And he, too, treated coon the first night I took him to the woods. But uh, I was pretty fortunate picking out puppies through my, my hunting career because a lot of them were naturals. And uh, I was pretty fortunate with that. I know a lot of guys struggle with pups uh getting one that'll do anything and i was very very fortunate with the puppies i picked out out of litters that just seems like a lot of them were naturals but uh and uh, some of that might have to do with looking at a cross and figuring it'll work and getting lucky and it does but anyway i, I bought him and uh started him and uh put him in the hunts right away and uh he ended up he ended up making a, a very very nice hound yeah. Uh, well, we brought this up in the podcast the other day, and I don't remember who I was talking to, but we're talking about the differences in pups today and how how it seems that we have a much better chance of getting a pup today that'll start than we did years ago. Absolutely. Do you agree with that or, or not? I do. Yeah. I, I I'm not one of them guys who think that the dogs back then were way better than the dogs today. Um, I think we had some good dogs back then. I think there's some excellent dogs today. Uh, these dogs that are winning these big money hunts, um, they're obviously nice hounds. I mean, you can't, you'd be a fool. Oh, yeah. You'd be a oh, fool yeah. to think they're not. <laughs> All you got to do is go to one and try to beat them, I guess. But Yeah, um, exactly. <clears throat> there's there's uh, definitely some good dogs out there today. Uh, you just have to look in the right places, I think. Um, but they're definitely out there. Well, the point being was that it just seems like, you know, years ago, you could, it was a, a gamble that you'd get a good one out of a litter. Right. This is back probably in the early days, the Walker dogs, when they were starting to be bred and starting to get popular and spread around the country. And it seems now, one of the things that, and I noticed this uh, a couple of years ago, reading Pro Hound Magazine and looking at the races of the Pup, Pup of the Month or, or you know, uh, Pup Leaders, Female Leaders, Male Leaders, and looking in there and there's just, it's all across the board as to the sires and dams of these dogs that are in that leader's list. It's not like every dog on there is out of Finley River Chief or Shetler Sunny Boy or Johnson's Banjo or right. House's Chief or whatever. There's, it's all across They're the board. scattered across the board. Yeah. And is that because there's more good dogs producing good pups nowadays? Or is it because guys are breeding taking that one litter and out deal on the super stakes and breeding close to home. What do you think? I think the gene pool is much better today uh, as, as far as taking that Walker dog and breeding it to this Walker jip. The gene pool is the chances of getting uh, decent dogs are, is way higher today. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, All right. Well, let's. Is there another uh, star player that we want to talk about before we get to uh, to to Ferry? Uh, Blister. Uh, I put him in a few hunts, and uh, I, I honestly, Steve, I got burnt out on the hunts. I was burnt out when I got him. I think, <laughs> and I put him in a few, and I just I got away from the competition hunting for oh nine nine years. Um, and uh, yeah. I didn't own a dog for a while, and uh, I ended up, Blister died. He actually uh, flipped his stomach when he was uh, almost six years old. And I just started breeding females to him. I was studying him, and uh, I was just getting the ball rolling with him and, and breeding some good females and seeing some good pups out of him. And he reproduced pretty well. And uh, it seemed like just about anything bred to him, he was throwing something. And uh, I, I just got that ball rolling, and he died. And I was devastated. Um, yeah. I, I just uh, now, what was his full name? Rock River Blister. Okay. Yeah, I run ads on him for a while, and uh, right, super super hard going dog. Had a good nose, good strike dog. Would tree the first coon he came to. Would tree one a mile and a half away if he had to. You you could not dry hole the dog, and uh, I really really liked him. And uh, yeah, it was it was pretty devastating when I lost him. But mm. I uh, quit hunting and uh, I uh, started hunting again. I bought a couple pups from a few guys, and and uh, some of them didn't work out. And uh, I ended up buying one off a gentleman here down the road, and I named Turner. And uh, he was absolutely the best 10-month-old puppy I'd ever owned in my life. And he caught limes. And after his treatment, he was just not the same dog. And that really stung because he was by far the nicest 10-month-old puppy I'd ever owned. He was out of a dog called Moonshine Mike and uh, Stylish Kate. Moonshine Mike was owned by uh, Johnny Hamilton and Rick Salfin at the time, but uh, right, yeah, I, I, yeah, I was devastated over that deal, and uh, I just was searching, and uh, my hunting partner, my hunting buddy for thirty some years, Chuck Kane, had bought the fairy dust female from Ashley Guthrie, and uh, he offered uh, for me to buy half of her, and I bought half of her, and. Uh, Started hunting her some and got her ready for the world hunt uh, in 2019. And uh, wasn't, honestly, when I started hunting her, I wasn't really, our ambition wasn't to go to the world hunt or anything. I just started hunting her. And uh, I took her to an RQE up here north of my place and she won it. And then uh, we went to the zones and uh, uh, took one on the chin Friday night got beat, and uh, Saturday night she won her cast and got in, and uh, then we went to the finals, and she got she ended up getting third, and uh, she did real well. I thought she the final cast she got she has an autoimmune disease, Steve, from a tick bite of some sort. They cannot pinpoint what the problem is. It's not limes. It's not Ehrlichia. And they don't really know what it is, but she's on prednisone, and she gets point a point five pill every day, uh, and, and she's on she's a thyroid dog, so she's on thyroid medication and the prednisone every day, 
And I could tell Saturday at the World Hunt she wasn't quite acting herself. And uh, I was concerned. And uh, she just, when we went to the woods that night, if she's not barking in the dog box, she's not feeling well. And she never made a bark all the way to the woods. And uh, she ended up, the, she looked good for an hour. The second hour, she didn't look, she just didn't do anything. And I'm I'm pretty certain it cost her winning the world hunt because she uh, she was on a roll and she was looking really good, but she just got sick that day. She wasn't feeling herself, so that's hmm. the way it goes. Well, certainly, and, and you know, back in the day, we never heard. Of, I mean, you know, we had ticks, <laughs> and we pulled yeah, them off, yeah, <laughs> and, and you know, and then all of a sudden, it seemed like these tick-borne diseases just started popping up, you know. Yeah. Do you think we had these back in the old days and just didn't know what it was, or have these things just come on of late? Uh, as far as the tick diseases go, I don't think we did have them. Um, I don't the remember. The only thing I ever heard of was like this Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Or something yeah, I remember hearing about tick, that. But we didn't talk about it in dogs. That was more or less... You know, you could get it, you know, right. yourself. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Uh, I don't remember ever hunting a dog and have them just nosedive, you know, as far as ability. I don't, back in the day, I don't ever remember that. Um, I know the limes, they think, came from Connecticut. Uh, I don't know. You know, yeah. there's all kinds of rumors, but I don't, <clears throat> it's definitely hard on the dogs, I, and it's, it's incredible to me that these dogs are selling for $100,000, $80,000 when one day they can be on top of their game and the very next day they could come down with a tick disease and they're they're worth, some of them aren't worth much after that. Oh, okay. I'm not going to get the award here for being Mr. Uh, the number one promoter of coon hunting and coon dogs if I say this, but I'm going to say this anyway. In my 75 years, which, you know, I started night hunting in the 60s. I don't know how many years that is, but that's quite a few. Right. I never did see a dog that won every hunt. I, I saw a few dogs that were consistent winners throughout their whole lifespan, but most weren't. Mm -hmm. Most went hot and cold down through the years. Right. I, I remember, and I don't think this is being disrespectful, the, the late J.C. Ellis. I always enjoyed talking to J.C. at, at the uh, World Hunt at PKC especially. Mm -hmm. That's when I really got to know J.C. Uh, and we talked because he was a plot man years and years ago before he got into Walker. We talk about that and mm -hmm. stuff. But one year he bought the dog that would just tore up the uh, breeder showcase hunt down at Aurora. This dog won his cast every night. He was, and JC was always, those that knew JC at, at Aurora or at the PKC hunts, he was always going through the scorecards, right. looking at the scores and all, you know, looking for prospects, I'm sure. Something right. To, something to buy, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and he certainly had the, the, the means to do that. And, uh, but one, a great guy. I really like JC. Right. But anyway, I asked him, he, he bought this dog 
that had just blistered everything at the at the uh, breeder showcase. Mm-hmm. And it might have been World Hunt that time, but that fall, you know, because that was in July and then World Hunt in October. I said, "What about that dog you bought? You know, uh, that breeder showcase champion and all." You know, he said he ain't won. He has not won a cast since I bought him. Oh, and and you know, so I mean, to me, I have. True confessions, good for the soul. I have never had the means to go out and pay that kind of money for a dog. Right. Number one. Number two, if I had that kind of money, I wouldn't spend it on a dog. No. <laughs> because I think it's got to be one. Of, they talk about buying a new truck or a new car and soon as you drive it off the lot, it depreciates in value. Well, the worst to me, uh, unless you're somebody like buy a, like a Scott and go and buy a mojo or, or whatever, <laughs> to, or the big country dog or wh- whatever, you know, there's very few dogs that are going to bring that big return on your investment. Right. And I and it's a head scratcher to me why people pay those kinds of amounts. Because they can. Dogs because I know unless <laughs> they are a total freak. Those dogs are not going to bring you a return on that money. No, know? not usually. Um, yeah. Especially nowadays. But some do. Some, some do. do. Some do. But that's a needle in a haystack. Yeah. 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 It is. It yeah. Is. I, I, well, I, I guess if I had the money, would I go out and buy a $50,000 coon hound? I, I probably wouldn't, Steve, because like you said, I, you've seen that too many times, and I know I have yeah. too. And I've I've always gotten more enjoyment out of training my own. And uh, yeah, me too. Me that's too. just where I'm at. I, I never had the funds to go out and buy a even a twenty thousand dollar coon dog. So right. I've always trained my own. Well, I think the average hunter would have to agree with you that that's not within the realm of possibility for them either. And even if they did and they bought that dog, how can they possibly have the satisfaction that you'd have out of taking a puppy or a green-started dog and finishing it into something that was really nice? Yeah, I, I, I mean... I think we've lost a lot of that in coon hunting, taking, buying a puppy and training it and and training it for yourself uh nowadays guys are buying a coonhound puppy training it wanting to make money off of it it's it's right. an investment and they're looking at what's this pup going to be worth a year from now how much can i get out of him where back in my day your day we bought a puppy and we want to know what's this puppy going to give me in his lifetime mm-hmm. it's, correct it's a different ball. And game. the ones that really did satisfy us and all, we kept them pretty much. Right. For their yeah. Lifetime. You know, yeah. my mother had a saying, you know, when we talk about somebody offered somebody so, so much money for their, their dog and they turned it down and she said, well, that's when two fools met. Right. You know, the one that offered it and the one that turned it down. Yeah. I've been that fool <laughs> several times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me too. I've had guys follow me around at plot days trying to buy my dog, and he wasn't worth what they were offering me. Right. But he he was my dog, and I liked him, and right. you know, and so I kept him. You know, yeah. Knowing that he's only going to live maybe eight years or nine or ten at the tops, by yeah. then he's wore out. 
Yeah. But it, it's yeah. why we do what we do. We love these dogs, and I think there's a lot of satisfaction. I know there is in seeing one do well that we had a hand in. Right. You know, and all. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Right. I'm to the point so, now where, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm starting a lot of dogs, and I am selling a few, and I, I've sold a few here right recently, Steve, that I – I had I thought had a ton of potential and the guys just didn't hunt them and uh, yeah. I scratched my head. I, I'm like, yeah, I priced this puppy high, thinking this man is going to have a pretty good investment in this pup. He's going to hunt the pup, and sometimes they don't, and it just it boggles my mind. And I recently bought one back that I, I thought had the potential to be a real nice hound, but yeah, I. I I don't know. It's it's kind of soured me on selling started dogs because I see potential in some of them, and they and you, you hate to see them go somewhere where they just you know sit in a pen or and they don't ever reach well, their full potential. Well, I had this conversation again on the podcast. Will be out probably the week after this one, uh, talking about that and how that you can't you know if you if you agree to it to a fellow that you're going to hunt a dog and you're going to finish it out, whatever the goal is, this is the way this came up, whatever the goal is, whether it's just to finish the dog out so you can have a nice hide season with him next fall or whether it's to get him into the super stakes and try to win that or or go for a ticket to the national championship or whatever, Mm -hmm. you can't do that laying on the couch flipping the channels. No. You know, and unfortunately, the the truth comes out that a lot of guys are supposed to be hunting dogs for guys out there like me. I mean, not me on the hunting end, but on because I, you know, I've had trouble finding somebody that would really hunt my dog. Right. And and, and with no more goals than just to finish an, a, a nice dog that I can enjoy mm-hmm. for what, you know, a few of the years that I've got left. But it's very hard to find somebody that will hunt your dog, whether you're paying them or not, the way you would hunt the dog. Yeah. It's... And I just don't understand. I think a lot of the guys are going out there, and the only hunting they're doing is at the hunt on Saturday night. Right. Saturday night. They're not doing any training. They're not doing keeping that dog busy. No. You know, I... and I, you can't. Do it that way, can you? No, I don't think so. Um, you definitely have to put the time in. And uh, I've, I've seen guys uh, recently, the only time they want to hunt is at a hunt. Uh, mm-hmm. And they don't want to hunt during the week. And uh, I, I just I kind of, I don't know how they expect to go there and compete with the guy who's hunting all week till 3 a.m. I think Jerry. Yeah, Jerry Maul used to quote, I believe it was Vince Lombardi, that's saying, you know, the will to win is not nearly as important as the will to prepare to win, you know. And that's where the winning comes in, is in preparation. Yeah. You know? There's a boy, I'll give a shout-out to Jeff uh, Glisson down here in Florida. Jeff's had some health issues and stuff, and, and man, I had, my Facebook will pop up on, I'll be sitting back in the recliner, you know, Flipping, flipping through Facebook or whatever, and old Jeff will be on there going live. And he hunts a dog called Clown. 
and he's got old clown back there in one of these godforsaken Florida swamps, and he's uh, showing the the track, you know, on his dog or whatever he's using. Right. And and uh, and, and he's out there. Right. You know, he's out there. Right. No denying and, well, it. You know, <laughs> this weekend, guess who won the Florida State UKC championship? Yeah, old I see. Clown. He won that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, hats off to Jeffy, man. He's doing the work. Yeah, definitely. Know? Of course, yep. I think he got a young buck there maybe to handle him at the hunt. <laughs> uh, but, but at any rate, you know, that's what it takes. And I know that. And that's the most frustrating thing for me at my age, knowing what it takes. Just not right. having the, right. the, the, you know, I don't have the physical strength. Don't get me wrong. I'm not on a, in a wheelchair and I'm not, I can go hunting and I'll get to the tree. I just won't be the first one there most times. Right. But, right. but still, you know, you, you come to that point in life yeah. where you have to realize, but there's no substitute for putting in the work. No, sure. there, there's definitely not. And, uh, Especially the world hunt and uh, whatnot, you're hunting out there in the summertime because most of, you know, I know the UKC world hunts in September, so you need to be hunting in August, and uh, yeah, it's not always pleasant, especially here fun. with the timber nettles. We have timber nettles here that grow up to my chest. Oh, I hate those dogs. Oh, I hate them. Mm. We call them bull nettles, and my, the dogs yeah. hate them, and uh, I... I kind of laugh at a dog guy comes over and goes hunting and cuts his dog loose and you'll get in a tree and he'll be rolling around on the ground <laughs> but some, some dogs, dogs won't hunt. hunt through them no yeah. no i had a little plot bitch one time I mean, she was pretty tough a little female but she'd get in the nettles forget it yeah we had a i used to have a lot of people stop in and want me to guide them for hunts and stuff the, the bellevue michigan club is a real good club it's one that i belonged to when i was up there mm-hmm. and uh they quite uh frequently hold red bone days yeah national red bone days mm-hmm. and this uh, guy came from georgia and brought a couple of young kids with them that uh, somehow their mother had talked him into bringing them to Red Bull Day. <laughs> but we took them out there hunting, you know, and I told him right off the bat, I said, you see those, those leaves, that shaped leaf, it's kind of fuzzy. Like, Don't touch it. Well, here, it's just no time. And he's <laughs> I said, I told you to stay out of that. Well, I didn't, I didn't think it would feel like that. Yeah. And he said, well, can you wash it off? I said, I don't think so. You're just going to have to wear it off. <laughs> no, they'll burn <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah I've had guys here just begging to get back out of the woods or out of the woods into a cornfield, begging. Monty, get me out of here. I can't take it no more. And, uh, yeah, they're oh, they're yeah. rough. And a smart dog won't hunt in them. They, they just, no, they won't. Mm-hmm. Now they'll start running the edges and whatnot. But uh, they're – and when I was younger, Steve, they weren't near as bad. I oh, can, no, you don't – oh, you mean they weren't actually they were as bad or they right. didn't bother you? They bad. weren't around. Uh, the, oh. They were in the bottoms and the river bobs and the creek bobs. Right, exactly. But, but now you get in the hills and they're everywhere, and uh, it's Ooh. incredible. Okay. But, yeah. Yeah, well, I haven't seen them like that. Usually they were in the lower places. Yeah, like, around here know, you can be up in the hills west of my place here, and, oh, they're just everywhere anymore. You can't get away from them. Mm. But there's a picture in one of John Wick's books 
I don't remember if it's the first or second edition he put out, was a photo that I took of a guy named Mark Blount who lived in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Mark built the Blount Custom Built Dog Boxes. He was the first guy really to build uh, manufacturer dog boxes for coon hunters. Right. And I took a picture of him one time and he had the wick chaps on and it's got his arms all raised up like, you know, uh, uh, like he's saying, don't shoot, right. but he's walking through this stuff. And John put in the book that this was in some river bottom or something somewhere out out there in Missouri, but that, he might have thought that's where it was. Right. That was in southwest Michigan. Southwest Michigan. I remember taking that picture that night. And, <laughs> but he was illustrating, you know, how, yeah, how you bad the nettles could be. And, yeah. yeah, there's places around here you'd need chest waders, but yeah, yeah, not yeah. fun, not fun all the time. But you got to be out there and you have to hunt them, and, and or you're not gonna win. You're just not gonna. It's not gonna happen. Right. Well, you got a real pretty pup you've been showing a little bit on Facebook. You call her Angel Dust. What's she out of? She's out of Fairy Dust and uh, mm-hmm. Schooner River Hank, Schooner River Fred Bear. Uh, we, okay. we bred fairy. Uh, she come in heat. The final cast was on a Saturday. We got home. She started dripping blood on Monday, which was pretty nice. And uh, we took her and bred her to the Schoon River Fredbear dog of Daniel Wilson's. And mm-hmm. uh, she had a litter of eight puppies, I believe. And uh, super, super nice pups. I raised them here in my garage. Two years ago through the winter and uh sold a few and we kept a few but uh the cross is is coming along real nice uh, i'm happy with them and i'm especially happy with the gentleman that owns hank daniel wilson i me and him have hit it off and uh, we believe it or not see eye to eye on a lot of things daniel's daniel's got a good head on his shoulders and uh is producing some real nice hounds out of Hank. Well, that's great. It's good to hear that. And it's always good to have somebody that you can kind of get into the harness with, you know, and head off in the same direction, you know. Right, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Liz, uh, go ahead. uh, All the guys that are hunting the dogs out of Hank, I've run across, uh, they all seem to be real good guys. And uh, it's just, it's worked out real well. I'm happy with the pups, and I'm happy with uh, promoting the pups out of Hank. And I've got a male here out of Hank and Ferry that I call Dre. His name's Andre, and I call him Dre. But he's a he's a better dog than the Fairy Dust fe- or the Fairy Angel Dust female. But uh, she's she's the one I just bought back recently, and uh, I've been hunting her a little bit, and uh, she's. She's looking better, so I'm hoping well, to. That's uh, good. She sure is a beautiful female. She's a. Sure. She is pretty. Thank you, and uh, yeah. I, I'm planning on breeding her, and uh, once I get her straightened out a little bit more, hopefully she'll come in heat and I can get her bred. But she should reproduce. She was a real natural pup, real natural, one of the most natural tree dogs I've seen, but and got a real, real good mouth. She's one of the louder females I've ever heard, but yeah, I'm I'm real happy with them. So. I've got her here. Yeah, that's great. And uh, I got a pup here out of Rodeo, Scott Engel's dog. And 
Mm-hmm. And uh, she's out of rodeo in the Willow female that plays second in the tournament of champions hunt. Yeah, I remember her well talking half the night about her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because she, she seemed like, at least uh, at the, the TOC, she was uh, she was pretty salty. She was yeah. nice a female. I've, I have not hunted with her. Uh, the gentleman that owns her, Kevin, tells me she's a real nice dog. And I've heard good things about her. Uh, the female here I've got out of her in rodeo is doing pretty well. So I'm happy with her. Uh, she's got a real good yeah. mouth, nice little tree dog. And uh, I've got a female here out of uh, Wipeout Hunter, uh, Zach McBee's dog, and uh, and Halftime Ruby, uh, Wes Hamilton and mm-hmm. Brett Myers' female. So, mm-hmm. And I've had her out a couple nights, and she's – She's acting very good. Uh, got a good mouth and real pretty female. So I'm happy with them two pups. And well, I was going to ask you what are the future? What's going to the future going to hold for you? But it sounds like you got a full plate. You got a yeah, lot to I've, keep you busy. Yeah, I've also got a pup here out of uh, the Monster Dog up in Michigan, and uh, mm-hmm. I, he's at my buddy's place right now. He's hunting down South Carolina. And uh, he, he's out of the Schooner River Faith female who was out of the old bear dog that Daniel owns, Schooner River Bear. And uh, she's a nice reproducing female like here. And I've got him. He's string coons. He's nine months old, I believe, coming 10. And uh, he's string coons. Uh, just treed, treed one the other night down in South Carolina. So I've got different avenues. I'm, I'm trying to uh, – I think I'm going to focus on the fairy blood and the Hank stuff, and uh, I think that's where I'm going to go from here on out. And uh, I got you. I'm real you happy like with like the Schooner River stuff. I do. Um, they seem to have good noses, and they're good track dogs. They're balanced hounds. Uh, mm-hmm. Haven't had any trash problems with them to speak of. Um, out of all the dogs I've fooled with, I mean, they're pretty consistent. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm really liking okay. them. I, I'm liking that bloodline, and uh, it's not – you know, it's not uh, not easy to find something you're happy with, but yeah, I'm because I'm I'm very very picky and I always have been. Sometimes too picky when it comes to dogs, but yeah, I I'm really enjoying them. So I think that's where I'm gonna. Well, it's good. Yeah, it's good to see you in that in that place. You know, right? And, uh, right. Being a good dog man and having some good prospects coming on, living in a good part of the country to actually see those dogs make their potential and i'm assuming you still got plenty of places to hunt has that got to be a problem yet uh, for you not as many as i used to uh, steve i used to be able to go and hunt anywhere i wanted in this area uh, i'm fortunate i'm still fortunate um uh, my father coon hunted my dad coon or my grandfather coon hunted and and lived in this area his whole life and my dad did too and and my dad, uh, he's still friends with a lot of the farmers around here. He farmed. And, and uh, that gives me access to uh, some good coon hunting. Um, we have a one place here at State Ground. It's uh, 3,500 acres, I believe. But, yeah, I, I'm, I still have some. Not what I used to have. You know, guys come in and buy 40 acres and build a house and or 10 oh, acres. and oh, they. Yeah. They've subdivided one area up here that I used to hunt all the time, and it was just absolutely great coon hunting. But uh, it's all subdivided now. But it's uh, you know, it's sign of the times. It's uh, it's tough. Uh, 
I know it's tough for a lot of people that are getting started in coon hunting, finding a place to coon hunt. I can't imagine starting out and, and trying to coon hunt and in this day and age. I, I it'd be tough. Um, deer well, hunters it is tough. You gotta love it. That's for sure. Yeah, deer hunters have everything leased up, and I've lost a lot of timber to deer hunters, just like a lot of people have. And uh, you know, well, one of my last legislative uh, exploits that I, I recall was uh, coming to to Springfield and talking before the game department and they were trying to promote the leasing of farmland to out-of-state hunters for deer hunting mm-hmm. and Chris Wallen and the Illinois coon hunters of course were not in favor of that and I was able to speak to that issue and then we I had prepared an economic impact study on the the impact of coon hunting on the state of Illinois, and at that time we were able to share fifty some million dollars, but we encompassed everything you know dog feed vet bills, gasoline hotels, right. fees you know everything but uh well listen this has been an outstanding podcast from my position here. I've enjoyed it, Monty. Uh, we've been at it, believe it or not, almost an hour and 50 minutes. Wow. <laughs> I want to hear a good old Illinois Monty Gussie coon hunting story, a dog that did something that you remember from the past or something. I didn't I didn't prepare you for this, <laughs> but you've got to have once something that you can share with me here before we close this out. Oh boy, uh, I've been in so many hunts. I don't uh, not one particular hunt you remember, or uh, something funny that happened on the way to the tree. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've got some that some people probably won't believe. Um, well, that's the one we want. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was hunting in a hunt in a PKC hunt, the uh, winter jamboree and uh down georgia thomasville georgia sunshine jamboree sunshine jamboree that's it yes. and uh we were hunting uh ray carter was guiding the cast uh is actually was a friend of mine and uh we had cut the dogs down a uh little branch down a creek they got in there and they got struck and uh they got treed well, they got in their ways and got treed. Well, we were walking to the dogs, and uh, I think two of them were treed together, and uh, two of them were split treed. But we were walking up to the dogs, and we heard gunshots. Hmm. And this isn't this isn't a funny story by no means. Um, we heard gunshots, high powered rifle gunshots, Steve, and we all ducked. And Ray says, "Come on, we need to go back to the trucks." Well. We went back to the truck and got a truck, and we drove around to where the dogs were treated, which was on the other side of the block. And uh, Ray got out of the truck, and uh, I don't know if you remember uh, Laronia Allen. I do very well. Yeah. I had a dog named Undertaker. Yes. His son was in the cast. Yes, football player. Football player, Brian, I believe. Byron? Uh, well, I can't remember. He was with us. I in think, the, is he the one that played at Florida State? Yes. 
Yes. Okay. He was a linebacker, I believe. He rode yeah. with us to the woods that night. And uh, he was in the center of the truck, and I was on the passenger side. And Ray was driving, and Ray went up to this. It was a trailer, a mobile home. And uh, Ray went up to the uh, door, knocked on the door, and says, Hey, man, he says, are you shooting at our dogs? Because the dogs were treed behind the trailer, probably mm-hmm. 150 yards, 100 yards. And he says, no, man. He says, I'm not shooting at no dogs. And he says, well, what are you shooting at? He says, I shot that boy that was stealing gas out of my truck. And, oh, my goodness. Yeah. And uh, we had no idea, but he had shot somebody that was siphoning gas out of his truck and killed him. Oh, no. Right there. Oh, no. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> Ray says, well, do you care if I go get the dogs? And he says, yeah, go ahead. I don't care about them dogs. <laughs> and Ray come back to the truck. He says, I'm going to go get the dogs. And I said, okay, we'll stay here. Well, Ray went in and got the dogs come back. And he told us he was laying over there behind the trailer. The gentleman was dead. So, oh, my goodness. What a story. What, and he called the cops. And we sat there, Steve, for what seemed like we backed out of the driveway, and he and Ray had called the police. And we sat there for, oh, a good 30, 35 minutes, maybe longer. And uh, the cops showed up, and no lights flashing or nothing. If that had been Illinois, they'd have sent a SWAT team and mm-hmm. and 10 yeah. state police cars. Wow, let's hope that never happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, as far as the crazy story, that was the craziest story I'd ever... Uh, that, that one would be hard to top. Yeah, sure. and I... We were hunting one other night, and a woman, the dogs were running a track off to the left, and we cut off a road, gravel road, and uh, my dog was coming back towards the road. We noticed a car coming down the road, uh, a lot, going fast. Well, we had shined our lights towards the car, trying to slow the car down, because we wanted dogs getting run over. And uh, the car never slowed down, and she, they, she went through us 50 miles an hour at least. We were standing there on the edge of the road, and, and my dog finally came up to the road. I just withdrew her. It was sure I was hunting sugar. And uh, I put her in a truck, and we were sitting there, and them boys were listening for the dogs. Well, here comes this car again. And this lady was driving, an older gal, and she pulls up, and she says, uh, well, who was shining their lights in my daughter's car trying to get her to stop? And I said, we told her, we said, listen, ma'am, we weren't trying to get her to stop. We were just trying to get her slowed down so she wouldn't run over the dogs. Well, she whips out a gun, and she's pointing at us. Was it you? Was it you? And I said, I, I walked behind my truck, and I said, hey, it wasn't me. And she says, why are you hiding? I said, because you have a loaded pistol, probably, pointing at my head. <laughs> yeah. So that I'm, should be your first. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I have every right to go hide behind my truck. But uh well, Money, we've just about shined a tree on this one. We've been at it here, I think, almost two hours, which is outstanding. I get a lot of requests for more content, so I think this has been a great podcast. I was just thinking to close things out that I'd like for you to tell me a real good Monty Gussie story. It could be about a night hunt, a pleasure hunt, a dog you knew, anything that comes to mind to close out our podcast. Can you do that? Yes, I can do that. All right. Uh, we were in, uh, hunting, I was hunting Walker Days years ago in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And I was hunting a dog for a gentleman by the name of Drifter. And the dog, the, the gentleman's name was Roy Spears. 
I don't know if you've ever heard of Roy Spears from uh, Harrod, Kentucky. I don't think so, but I was at that Walker days in Kalamazoo for sure. I guided yeah, he, uh, both uh, nights. Yeah. Yep. And uh, he owned a dog named Spring Creek Max, who was, I believe, a direct son out of Old Rock. But I had, he, uh, I was hunting drifter for him here at my place. And uh, he had made 30 trees, Steve, and had a coon in every one of them up until Walker days. And uh, we went up there and we hunted. And he was leading the cast. And the more coons he treed, the more dogs withdrew that night. And uh, we cut loose with, well, I believe there was like 20 minutes left in the hunt. Drifter by himself. And he went in there in a little patch of woods and he struck and he went there, he fell treed. And I just knew he was going to win Walker Days. Now, he did back a dog earlier that night on a slick tree, so he had some minus. But I knew we were going to score this coon, and he was up around, I can't remember how many points he had. See, I think he had around 1,700 points. And he legitimately treated all these coons. And uh, Roy was in the cast. He was walking along, and we had the judge and the guide. Or the guide. I'm sure he was judging, too. I can't remember. There's three of us. We go into the tree. And he's treed up a pin oak tree. And 10 foot over is another pin oak tree. And he's got a slick. Mm. And the the pin oak tree just next to him has got the coon in it. And the guide says, well, you boys can move that dog over there if you want. (laughs) And and I I said, well, that's tempting. And yeah. Roy Roy says, Monty, get the dog. We minused out. We're going back to Kentucky. <laughs> and I said, Roy, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> and he says, Monty, the dog did a fine job. I'm happy with him. That's all that matters. He missed that coon. And uh, he's minused out. And that's just the way it is. And I remember wanting to vomit, <laughs> but I, uh, I, I, you know, I, I respect him greatly for that. And, uh, I still do. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, right? that's, <clears throat> it is. And it speaks to his character for sure. And, yeah. uh, but you know, those temptations that come <laughs> out there in the dark of the night and we've yeah. all been there, you know, we've and, all been there. <laughs> yeah. And you bring this idea of going in, you know, with a, uh, with a thermal device in uh, yeah. all alone to a tree and yeah, man, don't put temptations on me. There's enough out there, you know? Definitely, uh, yeah. Definitely. Keep the temptations away. <laughs> oh, definitely. Oh, at the yeah. time, there was nothing more I wanted than the Windwalker days, but and it was kind of tough. But you know, yeah, that's the way Roy wanted, it, and that's the way it was going to be. And, well, uh, that's good, and you can look back on it now and laugh with a clear conscience, and that's right. the best part. I, su- I suppose yeah. <laughs> winning Walker days would have been nice too. <laughs> yeah, it would have been, but it just wouldn't have been the same. It, no, the way it turned that's... out was the way it was supposed to be. So yeah, that's yeah, for I sure. I respect Roy for that, and yeah. I always have. 
Well, sure. Well, I think getting together with you for this podcast was the way things were supposed to be because it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it, and we definitely have to get together again, uh, get an update on all these young dogs that you got there and how they're working and and all. And I'll be watching you on Facebook trying to keep you straight. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's good. All right. Well, I'm going to close this out, Monty, with another thank you for, for being with us. Great job. Out there in podcast land, if somebody says, where's Steve Fielder? You just tell them, well, he's gone to the dogs. Will do. Thank you, Steve.